Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. This week, game designers Peter Gusis and Michael Kelly will review a cooperative game and have a related design discussion. Hey, I'm Peter, and I'm here with Terrence. Hey, Peter, how's it going? It's not Friday, but... It isn't Friday, and I don't see you, so this is awful weird for me. <laughs> well, th- this is normal for me, because it's actually only you see me, since you have to put that stuff together. I never actually see you, except, like, delayed from the YouTube. Yes, so if you guys don't know what we're talking about, on the YouTube stream channel, One Stop Co-op Shop Streamed, we do a live Marvel play every Friday, and guess what? That's what we're going to be talking about, Marvel Champions today. Yep, can't get me away from that, so glad uh, <laughs> you're having me on. Yeah, no. And I mean, honestly, we are three full cycles in now. So I thought it was a good time to do kind of a look back, see how each of the cycles has progressed. And at the end, we're going to have a fun discussion on who our top five heroes are. And I'm curious if there's going to be any crossover between the two of us. Yeah, I'm curious about that as well. I think I tried to pick at least a wide breath for me personally, uh, just because I didn't want a ton of overlap, but interested to see what your list is. Yeah, no, I mean, you probably can pick my top three, which is why I wanted to go to top five. Well, first of all, it's our thing, right? We do top five lists here. But also, I wanted to go beyond the top three because I I knew who my top three were without thinking at all. But I was kind of curious to see if I went a little bit deeper, who would come to the top. And I think I've got a couple good ones. Nice. Looking forward to it. Cool. All right. But before we get started, have you been playing anything else that isn't Marvel Champions lately? Uh, I've played some Lord of the Rings, my uh, local Lord of the Rings, the card game. That group has started, but it may be shutting down, I guess, with uh, Austin hitting kind of stage five COVID situation now. So it was maybe short lived, but uh, I've been playing some of that and enjoying some of the fan made expansion now that it's on an official break from Fancy Flight themselves. So that stuff has been really great and a lot of applause and congratulations to the team that kind of does that. Because they do a ton of playtesting and, and they take it very seriously. Now, does the quality of the stuff match what you've seen come out from Fantasy Play? Yeah, 100%. Like designer, like kind of the lead of the team who's doing a lot of design, Sestan, has a Lord of the Rings pod, uh, works on the basically equivalent deck builder site, RingsDB, is known for basically breaking the game with various decks and has gotten a lot of erratas of the game. And so he's super involved. And I think what makes it work is they do a ton of playtesting. Uh, as you know, as a designer yourself, that definitely is what gets you to like kind of that right balance of where you want the game to be. And so they have a whole team around that and they do a ton of testing around that. And so that and the the other part uh, that I think they do a great job of is just like soliciting art. So they pay for art and it it looks phenomenal and probably puts a lot of commercial games to shame of like the quality of art that they get and it matches the game. So would you find that if you just went to ringsdb.com or is there another website they should go to? Since he manages the site, you can actually, I don't know if you would just find it, but I guess if you're clicking on like the popular new decks, you would probably see cards from there pretty easily. But like when a pack comes out uh, from the kind of community expansion, it is their day one. They do a good job of just, if you don't want to print it yourself, they have a link to just like make playing cards where you can click it and order it, get it printed there. And Colin actually has a playthrough of the first deluxe box. Uh, And so there's only a deluxe and one AP, I guess is what they're called, out so far. So there's only been two releases, but Colin actually has a playthrough on the channel of the entire deluxe box. And I kind of helped him build some of those decks there for that. So that's been a lot of fun. 
Nice. Now, when you print those yourself, though, is the quality close enough? Or I guess it doesn't matter because if you're just printing out villain cards and not cards that go into your deck, then the quality doesn't really have to match. It has both player and villain cards because they're trying to trying to make it so it is like you're buying something official from FFG, but obviously it's not an official release. Um, but obviously they can't use the same backs as what you would get from the official game. So you definitely want to have, uh, I hope you didn't sleeve your Lord of the Rings collection in clears. <laughs> I gotcha. Now, if you did sleeve it, is the quality from the place they, they send you to comparable so you can't tell if they're sleeved which came from what oh you definitely can because the art is not the same like i saying the back of the art so uh even that alone uh would tell you but also fg i've learned has just like off size cards so they're not exactly like poker size cards it's kind of off and so anything you're going to get from any print and play is going to be different from what you're going to officially get from fg so if you had a stack of clears and you saw it you could definitely tell Gotcha. So that's something fun. If you're into Lord of the Rings, that'll give you something to hang your hat on. I've actually played quite a bit today, not a cooperative game, but a competitive game called Ra. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. Like Ra the Sun God? Like Ra the Sun God. Yeah, it's a old, I think it might be Reiner Knizia auction game. And I'm not into auction and bidding games, but I've been playing this with my kids today. And it's fun because you only get a certain amount of bids each, what's called an epoch, which is like a third of the game. It's almost like hockey periods, right? So there's three epochs before the end of the game. And during each epoch, depending on number of players, you have a certain number of bid tiles that you can use. And once you use it, it's gone. So even if you have the highest number, so they're just numbers one to 15 and there's one of each so you kind of get a mix of them at the beginning and then as you bid that bid is gone for the rest of the epoch and you get whatever sun tile was in the middle you get for later on so sometimes you're bidding just to get those sun tiles but other times you're bidding to get these other tiles that'll help you score throughout the game anyway bottom line if you haven't had a chance to try it yet you like competitive games i, I really like Ra. It's, it's one of my favorites and playing with the kids today reminded me just how good that game is and my kids actually liked it which i don't hear about much that they like anymore nice uh i've not heard of the game i've i've heard of Ra, the sun god but not the game itself nice well it is a good one you probably heard about it through what sentinels of the multiverse right <laughs> i know there's a raw character there i mean it's, it's like an egypt thing right like raw like sure. they, they pulled it from sentinels did not come up with raw of course not no it's it's an official egyptian god in egyptian mythology for sure yeah and then i also played valor and villainy recently so that's one that already kick-started but i know steve and Mike have been talking about it like crazy. So Mike walked me through the third mission on Tabletop Simulator, which it's available for everybody. I think it's out there right now for everybody to go ahead and download and play if you do Tabletop Simulator. That was pretty good. Uh, I'm sure we're going to do a live play of it. Actually, I think next Saturday night, we're going to do a live play on the stream channel. So if you don't feel like playing it or learning it yourself, but you want to see somebody playing it, Jerry will be learning it right along with you guys. So that'll be fun. Yeah, I know Steve. Steve's been talking to me about it a bunch. Uh, I know he's super excited about it. Sounds fun. Yeah, not too bad. And one other one, I think that people will be interested in. I was told I could talk about it, but I can't, I'm not going to say too much. But I did play the G.I. Joe card game that's coming out from Renegade Game Studios and designer T.C. Petty, who is a good friend of mine. So he showed it to me today and it was in very much prototype form still. But it's it's definitely a very playable deck builder. Cool. Uh, I'm definitely going to ask you more about that. Bottom line, I did enjoy it. 
it is not what I thought it was going to be. So I, I can give up a little bit of information, I think. So you are recruiting the Joes to your deck. So unlike something like Marvel Legendary, where there's like 50 cards for one character, every Joe is their own character card. And you are going to pick one of those to be your leader that you start with at the beginning of the game. And you can level that card up throughout the game as well. But you'll also be bringing these Joes in and you're going to work on these missions. So it works a little bit like one of my favorites, which is the uh, Red Dragon in... Battle for Greyport. I was gonna. I was gonna ask you: Is that like leveling up in Battle for Greyport with the big card? No, I mean it's not. It's not the same, and you don't get to use your hero card every time. It's just one more card in your deck, right? It, so there are cards that trigger off of your leader, which will be a different card. So it's like if in a mission with a leader, it'll do whatever. But the part that's like Greyport is on your turn. You're going to be doing missions. Now you have some missions that are like side missions that'll be just in front of you and only you can do. But you also have missions in the middle of the table that you're working on as a group. So everybody at the table can contribute. The way they limit how many cards can be brought in, a little bit different than Greyport, is you have to travel in on a vehicle. So vehicles have certain carrying capacities, so that'll tell you how many different cards can be played to this battle. So there's some interesting stuff there for sure, some stuff I've never seen before. It was a first learning game, and it was on a new environment for me. It wasn't on Tabletop Simulator. It was another one. It wasn't Tabletopia either. So it was a little bit hard to get through, like just, you know, the first time you play one of those things, just mucking with the systems hard enough. So I didn't get a great impression of it. Not, Not that I didn't enjoy the game. I just, you know, it's hard to tell right? When you're struggling with the systems, but there's definitely a lot of cool, neat stuff there. And I'm looking forward to exploring it more. And that, that one's coming to retail, right? So it's not a need to kickstart this thing. Right now they do have pre-orders on the Renegade Studios website right now, from what I heard. Cool. Do you know when that one is coming out? I don't. They didn't have all the official art and everything, at least in the version I had. So I don't know how much of that is done. Right. Like, I don't know if I just got the bare bones one and all the artworks already done or whether it's, you know, still in progress. Plus, with all the shipping and everything else, I don't even know that they know when stuff's coming out. Right. Just it's it's a crazy world out there right now, Terrence. It's a crazy world. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I imagine for any IP game, it is a lot of work and anything they're prototyping is not going to have official art until like near the end, I'm sure, before it goes to print. Yep, Absolutely. All right, man. Well, uh, anything else you wanted to talk about before we get into Marvel Champions? No, I, I'm sure we can just fill the rest of this time easily. Oh, no, absolutely. No question about it. All right. So the core set came out November 1st, 2019 is by, by the data that I have. And then right afterwards, so the core set came with six heroes and three villains. And then right afterward, a month later, Green Goblin came out, Captain America and Miss Marvel came out. So they actually released a lot of stuff. And actually, I guess we should define the waves, right? So I'm defining a wave as core set until that first expansion came out, which would be Rise of Red Skull. And then everything after Rise of Red Skull until Galaxy's Most Wanted be wave two. And then now we're talking about wave three, which was Galaxy's Most Wanted all the way through the last hero, which was Venom. Is that how you define it too? Yeah, I, I think that's how most people would probably define it. There's probably some nuance there that I think you could probably have the core set potentially stand on its own from the rest. Like you literally got like a ton of heroes right in that first wave as well. Won a ton of villains as well, right? Because we didn't actually, I guess we got Kang in in wave two, but we didn't get 
any in wave three, right? We didn't get any new villain packs. No, they didn't do any uh, scenarios packs for uh, wave three. Right. But wave three, I mean, I think it's pretty clear that wave three went with Galaxy's Most Wanted because it was all the Guardians. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think generally it's like you have your deluxe is the start of a new wave is probably how most people think about it. And at least from like Arkham and Lord of the Rings style, like a lot of the times when they're designing these waves, they look at the card pull in the entire wave when they kind of do it. And so I think that's probably true in this, uh, like a concrete example of that is, I think in Venom's pack, for instance, you get the card, shake it off. And that almost feels like it's a Drax card. Not that it's a bad card by any means in Venom's pack, but it is an amazing card in Drax's pack. Well, and they gave Rocket like six guns in his pack and could only hold two. But then later on, they come up with the holster, right? When Venom comes out. So yeah, it definitely felt like they wanted stuff to go together. But I guess for those of you who don't know much about Marvel, we'll we'll kind of start from the beginning here and, and make it friendly to you as well. So Marvel Champions is a collectible living card game. It has a different release model than any of the other living card games. And it started with the core set, really, with the core set in a lot of LCGs, you need to buy two or three of the core set to get all the cards you need. But they made sure that was not the case in Marvel Champions. So you just need one core set. And again, it comes with six heroes. Now it does only come with four aspects or was it five heroes? Because only Uh, one shared. There are five heroes, four aspects. And I guess to clarify, you're like all the cards you need. uh, When Peter says that, he means like a complete card pool for a single player to deck build with. So you have the maximum number of cards. So historically in like Arkham, Lord of the Rings, Netrunner, all their LCGs, you'd have to buy multiple copies of the core set because they would not include enough copies. In Marvel's case, that'd be three. So you have at least three copies of any non-unique card in the core set. And they've continued that really whenever they release a new hero. So the way the release schedule works past that is they have villain sets, which there haven't been that many. Again, there've been three I guess one per wave, which isn't too bad, but two of them came out in the first wave and one after the second wave. And again, none after Galaxy's Most Wanted. Now they have announced one for this fourth wave already. So I guess they are going to go back to releasing villain packs as well. But they also have hero packs when you can buy individual heroes. And again, the nice part, when you buy that hero pack, you're getting three of each of the cards you need in almost every situation. Yeah, they've done that in all their other LCGs too. It's really just the core set that is incomplete. So they're continuing to do that. But, you know, the big distinction here as well is that Marvel is built around pre-constructed decks as well. So when you buy a hero pack, you can take out of the box, play, right? They, they have the divider of like where you stop looking at the cards to then like have that complete deck. And some of those are better than others, I will say, as someone who plays all of them right out of the box. I know, Terrence, you're famous for basically opening the pack and then dividing the cards out right away. You don't even care what that pre-constructed deck looks like, right? Yeah, I've never played a pre-con except at Gen Con when I demoed it for the first time before the game came out. Right. But I do tend to play all of the pre-constructed decks out of the box. And I think some of them work way better than others. And so just know that as well. There are going to be different levels. Like Captain America, you could probably just play with the Captain America deck out of the box as is and never need to deck build with that one. It's just really good out of the box. But some of the other ones like Thor out of the box was just 
not very good. Or even Rocket, we were talking about earlier. He just had way too many guns for what he wanted to do and just not enough space for him. I will say that from just listening to designers on that they've done interviews on the pre-cons, you mostly play the pre-con solo to test. Yeah. The pre-cons are definitely designed for standard, which you're doing standard villain and not expert and also at least two player. Yeah. So the pre-cons are not kind of built necessarily for solo. If they happen to work for solo, like Captain America, like you said, great, but I don't think they're designed for solo out of the gate. And, you know, if, if you take like Thor aggression and the pre-con, it's not the best pre-con deck you could have, but it also does not fail as hard, you know, in multiplayer. It actually does fine. And it's interesting you bring up solo versus multiplayer because I think a lot of people play this game solo. I think it's very popular. Now, there is a debate out in the community whether you want to play one-handed solo or two-handed solo, meaning you play two different heroes. But I do think the game does play best at low player count, especially when you're learning the game. Like, I wouldn't go out today, buy the core set, and bring it to my game group of four and try to teach them and play it my first time learning as well. I think the game would go a little bit long and there's a lot of interactions and a lot of downtime when you don't know what's going on. I think as you get better at the game, certainly that downtime goes down. So, you know, three, four players is more viable, but I I would never want to learn this game with four players out of the box for sure. Yeah, They, they do have the new modes now of like you can play it with just like one side of the villain versus having to do both. And that, that probably makes a lot of sense for a learning game even at four player. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That that probably is an easier way to do it. So let's talk about those core releases, though, that first wave of releases. So you had Core Set, then you had Green Goblin, Captain America, Miss Marvel, then Wrecking Crew, which is another villain pack. And then you had Thor, Black Widow, Doctor Strange. Oh, Cree Fanatic. That actually came out before Rise of Red Skull. Yeah, it came out for Gen Con last year as a promo because Gen Con didn't happen in person, unfortunately. Oh, right. Cree Fanatic was a modular. And that's the other thing. So even though at this point we only had, well, the corset had three villains. Goblin had two villains in it. And then Wrecking Crew's its own villain. You can use these modular sets, these modular encounter sets that they have on the side to actually change up the way each of the villain plays a little bit. I mean, it's not going to be changing it from one thing to completely different. Each mission feels like itself still, but certainly some of the modulars will have more villains. Some will have more side schemes. Some will make, you know, they usually have themes like discarding cards or whatever else. So the modulars do change things up and can change the difficulty up as well. Yeah. And Cree Fanatic was introduced as a modular that you can insert into everything except Wrecking Crew, which is the only scenario that doesn't have any modulars that you can actually include in them because of the way the scenario is designed. But as a way to kind of just up the difficulty, because I think at the time people thought the game was too easy. And so this was kind of FG's response to add that little extra kind of level of difficulty. And we, we definitely have played it on stream. And I feel like we got our butts kicked on the first room that we played Cree Fanatic. Yes, I, we got better at it, certainly, as it went along. But we, we've definitely had some fun games against Cree Fanatic, that is for sure. And it was kind of a prelude to Galaxy's Most Wanted as well, because they, they were using some of the Ronin art and Ronin's in there and stuff. And Ronin definitely makes a full appearance in Galaxy's Most Wanted. But let's just talk about that first set. So after that first wave of release, is there anything that stuck out at you? Yeah, so in the first one, I would probably say my favorite villain out of all of them was probably Claw, 
Uh, not because I particularly love Claw thematically necessarily, but just because I thought that out of all the kind of villains at the time, he was probably my go-to like deck building tests villain just because he threw a lot of stuff at you, even in his like pre-built modular uh, with Masters of Evil. And those Masters of Evil were no joke. Yeah, they're, they're, they're hefty villains for sure. Uh, but just like he had status stuff, like you could get stunned, uh, you know, like there's a lot of thwarting pressure that you need to do from the get-go if you play an expert, right? With those two side scenes that come out from the get-go with uh, Defense Network and Immortal Claw. So, you know, like it applied a lot of pressure and required your hero to kind of just be general uh, overall, but it also wasn't an insanely like hard scenario. And so that felt like a pretty fun one for me because you just had to have a little bit of everything and you had to have ability to deal with stun, right? Uh, and, and kind of deal with all those things. And that's one of the best parts about the game, I think, is how different the game feels depending on what hero you're playing, but also what villain you're playing against. And really, you can build and almost need to build sometimes very differently to play each villain. Now, you didn't see a lot of that in the beginning here, but it's funny. Claw was your go-to from the core set. My go-to was Ultron because Ultron just, there was just tons of minions you had to deal with all the time and you had to figure out how to defeat those minions. And I feel like the difficulty level was really high for Ultron. And so it really gave you a challenge for those people who said the game was too easy. I think he was a good one to go against as well as Goblin mutagen formula so there were two that came out with Goblin as well as a bunch of modulars so you could change up the modularity with that villain expansion pack. But the interesting one for me, the first one I didn't think was very well done. Risky Business, I think it was called. That scenario, I think, is universally thought of as kind of broken because you can just sit and not worry about scheming so much and stay in alter or keep them in alter ego form until you really build up. And that's the game usually puts good pressure on you. But that mission, that scenario didn't do it quite right. But I think Mutagen Formula is one of my favorite scenarios to come out even to this day. And that one puts pressure on you with a bunch of minions as well, but in a different way. So those two were kind of my go-to from the core. And then, of course, Wrecking Crew, I think, is probably universally thought of. And this might be a controversial statement. I'll say maybe the only thing you don't need to buy if you are buying into Marvel Champions. Wrecking Crew is fun. It's different. And we just played against it the other night and had fun playing it. But the challenge level is not there. You're not allowed to put modulars in. You can't make it more difficult by adding expert cards in. So there's just not a whole lot you can do to make it feel different from game to game. I mean, it will feel different based on your heroes, but it doesn't really add anything. It doesn't add modulars that you can add to anything else. It was a different villain, but I think there's enough villains now that are better balanced than Wrecking Crew that I think if you're going to buy everything except for one thing, I think Wrecking Crew is the one thing for me that you could just leave out. Yeah, I know Steve didn't buy Wrecking Crew. Uh, I, I, I don't think you need it. Yeah, it, it really just stands on its own. Probably the one the one nice thing about Wrecking Crew, if you want to have a consolation thing, is that it's the easiest one to just pack up as a, like, I need to have a scenario because it is self-contained, which is both its strength and, I think, biggest weakness. Yeah, and I will say I have fun with that every time I play it, so I don't think it's a bad scenario. I think it's on the easier end, and maybe the only way to beef it up is to give the villains a little bit more life or something because it's really threat is I mean we almost lost from it last time we played 
But that was the first time ever that I think I've almost lost a threat with that scenario. That one's really a heavy damage scenario. You're taking lots of damage. You know, each of them has their own special effects that they do to you. But, you know, thwarting is not as key in that scenario. Yeah, I, I, I think it suffers from the same problem Risky Business did, which is you can spend a lot of time on Alter Ego. Like we both flipped to Alter Ego at one point and it's just like, yeah, okay, it's fine. Yeah, you almost never do that unless you know you're going to lose that you know, scheme, that main scheme, you almost never go both alter ego or unless you've got a confuse or something out there. But yeah, no, we just, we were like, all right, who cares? They're going to, you know, it's going to pop. That's fine. They'll, they'll pop their screen scheme. They'll do something terrible to us, but you know, we both need to flip. So let's do it. Yeah. Uh, I guess as out of modulars, uh, Green Goblin introduced four modulars to the kind of the pool in addition to the five that are ready in the core set. And I think my favorite modular from wave one was running interference, which is the one with tombstone. That's the one that penalized you from like flipping. I don't know if you remember that modular very well. You know, I don't. It's funny. We have so many modulars out there now and I could play with them more than I do. But a lot of times I'll just run whatever it says. So like for Rhino, I just run bomb scare nine times out of 10. I don't know why, but I tend to do that. You know, I even have a way to randomize the modulars, so I could easily take anything else, but usually we'll handpick the modulars and I don't play with it nearly as much as I think I could or should. Yeah, I mean, I think for theme reasons for a lot of people, uh, you know, like the modulars are designed for that scenario. And so there's just theme that kind of goes with that. And then it's also just easy, right? It's kind of part of like what makes that scenario feel that way, like Claw without Masters of Evil actually is a very different feeling scenario if you don't have those kind of chunky minions. Right, because he does put a ton of cards out, and so you know you're going to get some of those Masters of Evil. Like, that's Claw's thing. Like, at the beginning of each of his forms, he puts, like, two or three cards into play with you, which is unique to him, actually. They haven't done that, I don't think, with many other villains at this point. Uh, Green Goblin, a munition formula, puts a minion and then three encounter cards, and two encounter cards in front of you. Okay, so yeah, Goblin and Claw. But they kind of went away from that once they got the Rise of Red Skull. I feel like you you don't need it in Galaxy's Most Wanted for sure. Well, what they started doing instead is putting more cards with Surge in there. So Surge is a keyword where you when you draw an encounter card, you resolve whatever the encounter card is, and then you draw another encounter card. So instead of just having two or three at the beginning of a mission, you might get them throughout. And we'll kind of talk about some villains that really use the Surge keyword as we get to them. But uh, let's talk about September 2000, which I guess right in the middle of pandemic, right? Rise of Red Skull comes out, uh, the first major expansion. And that had five more missions that were linked together in a campaign. The first campaign for Marvel as well. Yeah, and they had a little comic book so you could read through the comic book. I mean, let's be honest. This game is great for its gameplay, but the story was never the strongest part. And I think that continues here, even with the comic book. The story was fine, but it was really about the differentiation of the different missions. Now, the cool part, and I didn't even realize this because I had only played it as a campaign, but you know, you pointed this out to me, is all of the villains from the campaign can be played as one-off as well. And actually, they're interesting because you haven't leveled up the way you do through the campaign. So the campaign had leveling, your heroes would get better, your deck would get better as you're going along. You didn't have that, but the villain also... I think took that into account too, uh, at least in Galaxy's Most Wanted for sure, where they're getting better as well. Yeah, I think there's a lot less of that in Rise of Red Skull. I think they kind of kept it much more in pace uh, in Galaxy, but we can talk about more of that when we get to there. 
Yeah, I actually think the I think the kind of standalone is actually harder than the campaign because those cards you get are actually pretty strong and the villains don't keep in pace with them. Like there's a few things you track from scenario to scenario, or there's the like if you're playing on expert campaign, there's the health that you have to track between each scenario, where potentially heal you can take like a kind of obligation type of card into your own deck or whatever that sucks but if you never do that like the villains never level up actually so you just get better and they don't yeah so i mean in that way it's a nice new starting point right like you could play crossbones and it was a suitable replacement for playing against rhino right and you could kind of build your way up from there so you could kind of build the difficulty how you wanted as well and you knew which ones were harder because obviously as you went on further the villains got harder but they were i wouldn't say samey They were definitely different and they all introduced different stuff. I guess especially Red Skull is the one that had the like side scheme deck that like kept bringing side schemes out. So there were some differences, but I don't feel like they were the same as what we're going to get to in Galaxy's Most Wanted. They're all unique and like definitely when I'm thinking about scenarios to play, there's like different things you think about for each scenario. So, you know, like Taskmaster definitely punishes you for flipping literally, right? Like flipping to other side. There definitely are like neat differences between the various ones. Zola definitely feels like it is upgrading all these like crazy self-made minions. And there's a lot of powering them up and surging. And it's like, oh, four health minion. Then it somehow becomes like a seven or nine health minion with like retaliate one and tough and all that stuff. So that is the feel of that scenario. They're not like a lot of different strategies necessary to beat them, but they definitely do feel unique. Yeah. And then right after that, they actually released another villain because people were dying for villains by this point. They'd released a lot of heroes. And I know they had two villain packs for set one, but people really wanted more villains to play against. And I think Rise of Red Skull did a good job because it gave you five new villains. But then right afterward, they had another villain pack that came out once in Future Kang. And honestly, this is one of my favorite scenarios in the game. Now, I will give you that it is the one of the longest scenarios in the game as well, because there are three stages and typically there's only two. But I don't know. It just does some cool stuff. It's got some unique things where the middle stage, you're fighting against a different version of Kang, depending on which middle stage you draw. There's, I think, four different ones. It kind of separates you out into your own little solo mini game as well while you're in the middle of it. And then it brings you all back together to fight his final form. That That one to me is just a fun scenario pack for sure yeah I, I think once in the future king is definitely one of the best like if you're to pick one of the scenarios to buy that's definitely the one i feel like gives some of the most bang for buck for just like uniqueness and other stuff uh and the modulars are also great in that pack too because who doesn't want to fight a t-rex probably the thing is it's actually based off of a lord of the rings uh scenario called foundations of stone which actually was also in Wave 2 in Lord of the Rings, where, you know, you're going underwater and you get split up. So that kind of unique mechanic of splitting the players up uh, and then having them come back together, I think, is just something that's a fun mechanic to do. So it definitely puts pressure on people that I think are building heroes that specialize a little more, which you can do at the higher player counts. And it incentivizes you to not necessarily want to just play it solo, though, the kind of advantage of playing a solo is that each run will not be the same because you might get a different version of Kang. Yeah. And actually this wave was kind of a small wave, but it did have a theme, which was the duos. And actually I think there were only four heroes released if I'm not wrong, but they all came in kind of pairs and they had cards that if you were playing the other one and you use them as a duo, they would actually boost each other up. So that was first released here. But I think the only four heroes that came out in this wave were 
Ant-Man and Wasp, which were very cool because they, for the first time, not only had hero form and alter ego form, but as Terrence said, they had giant and tiny hero form. So they actually had three different forms that they could change between. So they had these cards, just the physical card itself was very cool unless you like to sleeve things and then it wasn't as cool. But uh, that would look like a normal playing card with its tiny form and then their uh, alter ego on the back. And then you could open the card up and you have this giant card for their giant form. So not only was it physically really cool, but they also worked very well in concert together and they had a card that kind of helped boosted them if you had both of them. Yeah, the the team up keyword was introduced in wave two, which was pretty cool. I did sleeve those and I have uh, it's based off of, I think, the Transformer card game that had this kind of uh, I say mechanic, but like whatever, like the physical mechanic of actually like unfolding the card, I think came from Transformers. OK. And so there's actually like sleeves from people buy for the Transformer card game that works really well, where it is the double sided card in a plastic thing. And then on the other side, they have just like a normal card thing that's like black that you just slide back and forth so you can see which one is active and then flip it to giant side yeah you showed me those sleeves and i didn't end up buying them but they're really hard for transporting like they don't oh yeah they now no longer fit in my game box with the rest of my stuff so i actually don't even have them in their sleeves Uh, and i just think it's cool to show somebody all right here's your hero here's your alter ego oh and by the way open up the card and like their eyes just kind of light up. If you're not, if you're not a sleever, I think it's pretty neat. Oh yeah. Uh, even if you are a sleever, you can get the like side loading sleeves, which is what some other people have done. But it, there was a lot of controversy actually at the time because people were worried. It wasn't even about the sleeving per se. People were just worried about if you play this hero so much, cause it's like your favorite hero. What happens when you like unfold and fold it so many times? Like, will it actually rip apart? It was the concern. And I haven't heard any horror stories, but I'm sure there are some, especially with Ant-Man, because I think of the two, Ant-Man was the stronger hero. And so a lot of people like building Ant-Man decks, and he's just super fun to play with. I don't know. I haven't played with him in a while. He's not one of my top five, so I I figured I could mention him here. But he is definitely a lot of fun to play with. And then the other team up was Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. Yeah, they they did not have nearly a cool, like, physical component to them. They went back to the plain Jane normal cards. But I think what they started to show here, and I mean, you even see it in the core set, but at this point, especially Scarlet Witch, she started using the villain deck to boost her special powers and things. And she could mess with like the boost icons on the bottom of the villain deck and use them for herself. And at that point, I was like, okay, they're really digging into some neat stuff here. And Quicksilver, like he can unexhaust and keep using them over and over. So he could defend every turn and even defend twice without needing any cards to do that. I don't know. This set to me, this wave, even though it's only four heroes, felt very thematic. Not that other ones weren't, but Scarlet Witch with her like messing with chaos, Quicksilver with his quick ability to like, you know, use him over and over and over again was really cool. I mean, just the giant form and tiny form for Ant-Man and Wasp. I just thought they did a really good job thematically with these heroes, even though there weren't very many in this wave. Yeah, I mean, honestly, there haven't been any real super dead kind of things. Like, they're, like, in the sense of, like, nothing has felt like a repeat of a hero. Like, oh, they just reskinned this hero, right? Like, I think each hero has felt unique, whether you like that hero or not, which is definitely, like, kind of, think, the centerpiece 
I think like when you came out with the corset, you're like, how much can they continue doing this without kind of repeating themselves? And I think they have proved in three waves that they can continue to do that, right? Like it is not just a copy. You know, there there are like copies I think of like, oh, this is like that other hero signature card or whatever. But like, I think each hero does feel very different. And so I think you've seen that with like Captain America and Thor with like God of Thunder and Super Soldier Serum where like they're just resource cards and you have two of them and they just happen to generate different resources. Right. But actually Captain America for me felt a lot like Quicksilver because he did a lot of unexhausting and attacking again or unexhausting and doing something else because his special power was he could discard a card to unexhaust and do something else. Well, Quicksilver just did that innately, but then Quicksilver has like 50 other cards that let him unexhaust as well. So he could just hit you like five, six, seven times in a turn. And so they felt very different, even though the mechanic was similar. Yeah. Captain America definitely just felt faster, uh, ironically, I guess, uh, compared to Quicksilver. Like he is, his like theme for fast is his ability to ready and kind of do a bunch of things, uh, which makes sense. But Actually, potentially, if you have bad card draw, he can feel slow to, I guess, build up because his stat line is, I believe, just one, one, one right across the board. So even though you're able to do a ton of stuff, like you're not doing a lot of impactful things until you get some of his upgrades out. Right. Like difference between a one and a two is pretty huge. Yeah. And he has an upgrade for each of those, though. So he can upgrade his thwarting, his attacking and his defending. So the nice part about him is he's pretty balanced. You can kind of build him any way you want. And that's not true of every hero. And I'm sure we'll get into that with our hero discussion later. But I, I think he is really neat because you can build him anyway. And honestly, I haven't played him nearly as much as I should. He's one that I'd like to get to more. Just haven't had a chance. I think you say that about all the heroes, though, right? Like, at the rate they're releasing heroes, I think it's hard, even if this is the only game you're playing, to, I think, do your due diligence for all the heroes. Because it's like one month, a new hero. And then, you know, one of the best parts of the game is that just because a new hero comes out doesn't mean it, like, makes all the other heroes irrelevant. New cards, which I think we'll get into when we talk about some of the hero stuff, potentially breathes a lot of fresh life into the older heroes, even. Oh, absolutely. Like, I still go back to the core set and see how those new cards make those, like, even potentially new aspects that I may not have considered to be as viable, right? Um, and I think that's, like, one of the best parts of the game. So it, it's just, like, exponential amount of play time, like, potential play uh, with each new pack that comes out. Absolutely. No, I, I think Thor, I mean, you and I argued about Thor tremendously when he first came out. I didn't think Thor was very good. But with all the things you can do now, because Thor's big thing is he wants to be engaged by minions. Well, that's luck of the draw, right? A lot of times. But with a lot of the new aggression cards, he can bring minions in front of himself to make sure that he is triggering that power, which makes him much more powerful. So absolutely. I think what they've done, whether intentionally or not, is made some of those heroes that were on the lower end of the power curve even better as they're releasing not only the the new heroes themselves, but obviously the cards that go along with those heroes that you can now deck build with. I just switching gears a little bit out of this wave too. Did you have besides Kang? Did you, did you have like a favorite villain that you like to go back to from rise of red skull? You know, it's interesting. I don't, I don't tend to go back to red skull. I mean, I know Zola was kind of interesting. I can't even remember why. But I definitely tend to go back to Zola. I think he's just challenging, right? So, like, that's one. Um, but I don't go back to Red Skull often because, honestly, I don't like dealing with a lot of side schemes. So he's not one I go back to. I've certainly, just so I don't have to keep playing Rhino, I've done Crossbones quite a bit. 
and his weapon upgrades and stuff like that's pretty cool. So yeah, I would probably say Zola. I mean, Kang is number one, but definitely Zola and Crossbones are the other two I've played quite often. Nice. Yeah, I, I for me, I picked Zola just because, yeah, I think he throws a lot out at you. He takes your signature ally, I guess, out of your deck, which kind of sucks. But I think really the the ally and the kind of the surging that kind of comes from that stuff makes him a challenging villain, which is fun. Yeah, for sure. I, I wish in Crossbones, actually, that they made the kind of weapon deck be a little more modular, kind of like Red Skull side scheme deck that like potentially there's other modules that will come with like other weapons and things that can go in that. I think that would have been fun. Oh, yeah. No, that would be a good idea. But I mean, the one I would say was the dud for me of the five is Absorbing Man. Yeah. Yeah. He just uh, he was there to slow you down in the campaign. He made sense, but I don't think he's very fun to play against one off. Yeah, uh, I think you just don't feel that pressure to kind of want to beat him as fast in standalone. So he just works, I think, the least well in standalone. Yeah, so through two waves, people were still saying that game was very easy. So then they released Galaxy's Most Wanted and kicked everyone in the teeth, (laughs) for sure. That is a, uh, it was very hard. So it was a new campaign box. It was uh, centered around Guardians of the Galaxy. It had Rocket and Groot in there, as well as, you know, Ronin and Nebula for villains. It had two collector missions where you're going against the collector in two very different missions. And then you also had the Badoon. And I'll be honest, I like the first three missions a lot. I like Nebula and Ronin as well, but they're super duper hard. So if you're in for a challenge, <laughs> those those are definitely good. Yeah, I mean, I, I think one of the things that's interesting, I, I think it makes standard, like, uh, I first tried Expert Campaign when I started Gasmos 1, because that was kind of the precedent that they've set, right? Like, we we did Expert Rise of Red Skull, I think, individually as well. Yep. I don't think we did it on stream, but I've played through it a handful of times with various heroes, and so I went in foolishly, thinking they kept the difficulty level the same, and just got, I think I just couldn't beat even just the second like into the museum, like I was complaining to you and you're just like, I don't know why you think the snare is hard. And I'm just like, dude, the snare is super hard. <laughs> and it's still hard even on standard campaign. But I think one of the big reasons was because that expert campaign card, those side schemes suck. Uh, they, they're really challenging. And I feel like one of the big differences in standard and expert campaign is you can kind of ignore the side scheme, but you yeah. can't an expert, right? Because it's like, absolutely not. here are these extra icons on side schemes that you all hate. And if you just leave it there, you're just like eating it every round. Uh, and that's just not a thing that you can do. Well, I originally played it on standard as is want for me. I also played it with the heroes right out of the box. And first I was so excited about getting Rocket and I played him and I just couldn't get past Nebula with Rocket, his deck out of the box the way it was. And then I switched over to Groot and I ended up playing him and I got past Nebula, but there was no way he was beating Ronin. Again, standard right out of the box. So I... uh I kind of gave up on the campaign until we played it on the stream and we used Rocket and Groot, but we deck built and it definitely made all the difference in the world for sure. Yeah, I went through it on standard campaign and expert solo with Captain Marvel Justice. That was the the deck that got me the W against Ronan solo. Yeah, Justice is huge because he just starts with so much stuff in play and that's the hardest part about him. I feel like if you can get past turn two or three, he's beatable. But man, it's just so hard for those first couple turns. You're just like buried at the beginning of that campaign. 
I mean, and you say beatable, but it's still like, quote unquote, beatable because, I mean, he hits like a truck, you know, just every turn. Just like, how am I surviving this massive attack? Even if I like get his weapon away, he still hits super hard, especially yeah. when you get him to stage three. So definitely no walk in the park. But the fun part about this wave, at least for me, is this was the Guardians of the Galaxy expansion. So the entire wave was Guardians of the Galaxy. So right after Galaxy's Most Wanted came out, it was Star-Lord and Gamora, and then Drax, and then Venom. And I didn't even realize Venom was one of the Guardians, because for me, I am a MCU fan, but I wasn't really a Marvel fan beforehand. There was a lot of stuff early on for Avengers. But this set brought Guardians in and gave them a bunch of cool stuff that only Guardians could do, which was kind of fun. Yeah, I think it's good that they want to differentiate Avengers from the Guardians uh, so they do feel unique and different. Uh, I I definitely have thought of Dex uh, and then looked up the card I was thinking of and then be like, oh, yeah, that's Guardian only. I guess I can't build that deck. (laughs) So that has definitely happened. But, you know, it's also happened with Avengers, I think, as well. Yeah, and I mean, one of the cool parts is we we did this on stream the other day with Star-Lord. He makes everybody into a Guardian. So if you want to try any of that stuff, as long as your hero's Guardian, then you can use whatever allies you want. They don't have to be the Guardian allies. But it is kind of cool that the Guardian allies can't be put in other people's decks and they're neutral allies. So literally all of the Guardian heroes can go in with all the Guardian allies. And I thought that was a really neat twist that they hadn't really done in the past. Yeah, I think that was not part of the original design, but they changed it to when they, I think they wanted to build like a Star-Lord deck, like someone brought like, why can't I have a Star-Lord deck that has all the Guardians in it? And I think that caused them to rethink and then make all the Guardian allies uh, basics so anyone can include them. Right. Well, anybody with a Guardian keyword themselves. Right, right, right. Which is kind of neat. So it keeps them in their own little universe, but still it's a fun universe. And actually, I I think these heroes were powerful enough. I mean, there was definitely, it felt like a little bit of a power creep in this one. Not only with the villains themselves, but with the heroes and just the modular or the cards that they came with for the different aspects. It felt like either they completed something to make it just better than it was before for all the different aspects and or the heroes themselves were really strong in this wave. Yeah, I think that's going to be just naturally true. Like there's going to be better cards that come out or stuff will just get fleshed out more, you know, as more cards come out. And probably one of the downsides of Marvel's release model, unlike the other card games, is that each pack does not introduce nearly as many new cards because there are repeated cards, right? And so you are only getting like, a handful of new cards oftentimes in your hero pack and not like totally new cards in each pack. All right. So let's look back on all three waves kind of as a whole. Now, is there any one purchase you would recommend? Like I just got into the game. I bought the core set. I love it. Where would you go next? Rise of Red Skull for me is probably the easiest pickup. I think we said that when it came out, when we kind of did that review and I, I still stand by that. Yeah. Just because you're getting, it just doubles, it more than doubles the amount of s- scenarios you have. If, you know, like at the time it doubled what I had because I had basically six scenarios. Uh, if I had Wrecking Crew and the Green Goblin pack added three on top of the existing three from the core set. So just having a campaign that doesn't introduce a lot of new mechanics and kind of gives you more, just more, even the fact that it adds two heroes is kind of a bonus in my opinion. Like just buying Rise Red Skull for, scenarios that you can take the core set with and not need to do a ton of deck building necessarily to kind of go through that campaign, I think is just a great value add. 
I mean, I don't think you'd need to do any deck building, honestly. If you went through a standard campaign, I think you can do it with the standard deck. So I think you could buy Rise of Red Skull, and I totally agree with you. That's my number one purchase, I'd say. If you buy nothing else after the core set, buy that. I would not recommend going straight to Galaxy's Most Wanted. I think the difficulty is way too hard unless you own a larger card pool and you can deck build. I think the difficulty's off. If you love Guardians of the Galaxy, I would say go for it, but I would still even say buy Rise of Red Skull first. That way you at least have more heroes to choose from, more cards to choose from. And then if you're going to buy Galaxy's Most Wanted, I would say you almost need to buy all the heroes that came after that as well. Because, you know, Venom, Drax, Star-Lord, Gamora, they're going to help you get through that campaign. So... I guess in your opinion, do you think you can have core set and just the Guardian Wave and kind of go through that and feel good about that? I think you probably could. I think you probably could. I would still recommend getting Red Skull just because I think there's a lot of cool stuff that comes in that. But if you really don't like Red Skull at all and you just wanted to do Galaxy's Most Wanted, I think you could probably do it. I mean, I'd have to look at all the cards that came with all the heroes, right? Because there are some core cards that come from other hero packs as well that you would want to have to try to get through galaxies most wanted in its most ideal form. So after rise, what is your next recommendation then if you're not going to recommend galaxies? I mean, I would say get whatever heroes you like at that point. I do think there's one hero that I would avoid if you're trying to get a hero to play with. I actually think there's a couple of them that I would say are not good first purchases. I don't want to go too far into which heroes to buy because I think that's going to be... A personal decision? uh, Yeah, personal for every player. But I would say I don't think Thor is great out of the box, and I don't think Hulk is great ever. (laughs) So, But he has great cards, right? So, I, I mean, I still am not saying don't buy Hulk the way I'm saying don't buy Wrecking Crew. I'm saying he shouldn't be one of your first purchases. Because while there are great aggression cards specifically in there, and actually the Justice card was Beat Cop, which was a very good card. Thor brings you under surveillance. Yeah, which is another great Justice card, right? But I just think to play those heroes themselves, if you've just got a core set and you're looking to play a cool, fun hero and you try to play one of those two, you're just going to get frustrated. Now, if you think the game's too easy, get those two early. I think Thor is not bad. I just think he is not he's not up to par, especially right out of the, if you don't have a large card pool, I think he gets better the more cards you get. Whereas somebody like Dr. Strange, Captain America, Miss Marvel, they're all good out of the box. You don't need to do much to make them good. Even Black Widow, you know, they're all good out of the box. And we'll get into details again on the heroes in a little bit. But I think we're covering the bottom end ones that I would try to stay away from. Those two would be the two that I would say, if you're going to get just one or two heroes, I wouldn't make those my first couple. Yeah, I I guess I was looking at packs independent of people's preference of heroes. I actually would put Camp as probably my first pickup just because overall, great hero like you're saying, Peter. And also you just get a lot of kind of core, I think, leadership staple cards like Squirrel Girl is in that pack, Falcon. You get Avengers Assemble, Strength and Numbers, which are all just like good cards. Avengers Tower. You get like a whole kind of Avengers archetype that comes out of the Captain America pack, which I think is pretty great. And he's good right out of the box, right? If you just want to pick up and play hero, he's great. Same with Doctor Strange. Very good right out of the box heroes. And Ant-Man as well, you know, that you can just pick up and play. I I guess we're getting into heroes now. Did you want to go into our top five list? 
Well, I was just going to go for packs versus like heroes. Okay. The next one I actually would recommend is kind of a weird one, but you'll understand why. I would actually say Wasp. And the reason why is she's the one that comes with the Power in All of Us, which is the double resource card for basics. And yeah. Ironheart comes in that pack as well. And Spider-Man. So you get like good basic allies and you get like the ability to kind of get that basic package, which I think before the Power in All of Us, like just wasn't really a viable thing, right? Like let's build a hero with not a lot of aspect cards as much and build put in more basic. So it allows you to get stuff like Helicarrier, Quinn Carrier, Avengers Tower becomes less of a expensive reach, right? Or even those two cost resource cards. Like it kind of opens the door for a lot more things once you have the power in all of us. Yeah, no, that's a good call. And then again, I, I think you fill in, I think Kang's a good one as well. Uh, I mean, Red Skull's so good because the heroes in that pack are interesting as well, right? Like for the first time, and actually one of the only times in the game right now, you can do multi-aspects with Spider-Woman. Not only can you, but you need to. So I think she opens up your card pool because she makes it so you don't need as many in each aspect, right? You can use aggression and justice together. You can use protection and leadership together, right? You can use whatever you want, whatever combo. And so because of that, when you have a limited card pool, it's hard to build a good aggression deck because you only have like 50 aggression cards, right? Or, or even yeah. less. And so it's hard to build a good deck. But when you have Spider-Woman in there, she lets you grab from multiple different decks. That's another reason I think Red Skull's just such a good first purchase, even if you're just looking for cards and stuff like that. Yep. All right, Terrence, let's get into our top five. So we're going to talk about our top five heroes. The way I did it is from my least exciting to the one I'm most excited to play all the time. But I know, Terrence, you did it a little bit differently. Yeah, I try to pick stuff that came from each of the waves and also the core set and then kind of just had a different hero as well. I think it's hard for me to have a like favorite hero of all time because I think they're all just, well, almost all of them are just really good that honestly, if you hand me a hero and said, build a deck and play it, I'd be happy to do it because they're all just super unique and fun. All right. Well, with that being said, what's your number five? So I'm just going to start, I guess, from chronologically for me. Okay. So, uh, for me in the core set, I pick Spider-Man because thematically one of my favorite heroes, not just in the game, but in the Marvel universe. Uh, I think all the core set heroes are actually pretty great, but Spider-Man has definitely just for me, just been a lot of fun. He has a good defense and he's viable in kind of all the different aspects too, and has gotten better over time. He gets the benefit of like a fast start with genius of just getting that resource on turn one, right? And alter ego. I mean, Aunt May is incredible of not needing to exhaust. So you're always able to do something on the hero side and not worry about having to be ready to heal, which I think the other hero, like every other hero basically has to do, right? Except maybe Venom, I guess, if you get Project Rebirth out. And then just like that card draw ability, right? Like actually wanting to get attacked um, from the villain to kind of get that card draw. And one of my favorite moments of the game was when I demoed it for Gen Con was I did play Spider-Man. I drew into that backflip and then just being able to be like, yep, Drew into backflip, now not taking any damage. And that's, you know, it doesn't happen all the time, but when it does happen, it just feels amazing, right? So, yeah, just super viable. And and I think he's actually one of the few heroes that makes, like, one of the aggression cards toe-to-toe and kind of that kit kind of work because you get webbed up and build it to kind of do that five damage and kind of take that attack. And so you can actually draw into cards with toe-to-toe, which is kind of fun. Yeah, he's kind of interesting because I think he was definitely one of the most ready-to-go out-of-the-box 
heroes and he doesn't need to build up. And there's a lot of heroes in the game that do need to build up, but he is definitely not one of them. But my number five is actually right out of the core set as well. And that's Iron Man. And he is the exact opposite. He definitely needs to build up. He takes quite a while to just build and build. And once he gets his full set of armor out, he's doing very cool, amazing things all the time. He's one of the few heroes in the game that just kind of plinks stuff away. I never worried if I'm stunned or confused with him because he just, you know, you use his hand blaster for one damage here. You use his helmet to, you know, just remove a threat or two threat here or there or whatever. It's just a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And then he does whatever he wants himself. And then his chest piece lets money exhaust and he can do it again so or he can do something and then flip to alter ego and then heal himself up but he definitely needs some help early on because his big thing is he only draws one card on his hero side plus one for each tech upgrade he has so the more tech upgrades you have up to seven maximum then the more cards you draw. And at the end, you're actually drawing seven cards a turn, which is more than most heroes. And you can really start doing some cool stuff. So I just love how he builds up. He just feels so different than any other hero. I think the only one that's kind of close is Black Panther, who I also thought about. He used to be one of my favorite core set heroes, but he even does it a little bit differently because he can't use his stuff every turn. He has to draw cards to basically activate all his stuff. And so for me, I just like the consistency of Iron Man, one of my favorites. But you have War Machine. I mean, War Machine's not out yet, brother. No, I just mean his signature ally. I feel like you never play it. You have like a dud dud card in your signature set. I I play him every time through my deck as a resource. Yeah, no, Iron Man's great. I I think one of the cool things about Iron Man that I'm excited to see is uh, I would love to see other Iron Man suit pieces because he does trigger off of tech and not his signature cards. And I love how they did it that way. So, you know, like definitely when we've talked about deck building, like there's the protection Iron Man build where you basically leverage like energy berry just to get more tech cards because you really just care more about the hand size and kind of powering up. Then obviously his suit pieces are amazing, but most of them aren't cheap either. Right. So like a two cost with power protection that you can just play for one card uh, seems great. And then, you know, we're seeing the Sonic rifle now, though that's kind of expensive out of justice. I'm really interested to see like fast forward two years from now, like what the card of the pool is going to look like and what interesting Iron Man builds are going to kind of come out of that. Yeah. And I had a bunch of, of also rands, but we, we maybe go over that later, but let's see if uh, you hit any of my top ones or if you hit uh, one of my also rands. So what's your number four? For me, uh, this was in wave one, and I actually picked Thor. I, I know I always bring him up, and, and you don't like him, but... I hate Thor. <laughs> it it kind of matched the... In Lord of the Rings, it was like the Dunedain style of like getting benefits from engaging enemies and wanting to engage enemies. And I think he's just so unique in the sense of there's no other hero that likes engaging enemies like he does, which I think fits that kind of MCU, like give me another kind of mentality, which yep. is great. And then... He just he has been interesting and, and for me has been one of the most fun heroes to watch evolve as the card pool has grown. I mean, you mentioned some of the aggression stuff, and I even thought like before Gasimos wanted, like there was fairly viable, even if they weren't like solo viable, they were definitely like rush aggression decks that were somewhat more viable when even Hulk's pack came out. And then, you know, you had cards like Line Weight that definitely made Thor aggression better, but then 
you could also build him around Justice because he's not good at thwarting, but like Justice has high energy icons, right? So like he loves energy, uh, similar to Iron Man, and being able to build around that is an interesting way to build him. And then there's also like the kind of defenseless protection builds because protection also has a lot of those energy icons as well. And with Thunder God, you can definitely trigger uh, Nova uh, every turn, which is interesting and been one of the most interesting heroes, I think, to watch grow as the card pool has grown. Absolutely. I think he is by far the hero that has grown the most with the expansion, at least for me, because I thought he was not very good and I tried to build him lots of different ways before. But I do think he has become one of the more powerful heroes now with the card pools expanded. So I think he is a great example of what they can do to boost the power of heroes that have been around for a while. So I think he did a great job there. But my number four is very similar. You actually said you like, come on, bring it on, just hurting yourself to get better, bringing all these minions in front of you. Well, nobody does that better than Star-Lord. He uh, he just likes to draw extra encounter cards, which are bad for you. And he just like, all right, give me encounter cards to make me super duper powerful. And so he does some of the biggest, most jaw-dropping things in the game. But then he's also like pays for it right afterward. So uh, because the stronger he gets, he gets stronger because he just draws more encounter cards. And then the other day, I think I had three or four encounter cards, plus I decked. And so I got another encounter card. So I was like a fifth one. And then, you know, you draw one at the beginning of every turn. And it just gets ridiculous sometimes with the amount of stuff you have to do. So I just like the risk reward. And it feels just like Star-Lord to me. So I think they did a great job thematically integrating him with what he wants to do. He just like throws himself into trouble, not caring about the consequences and having to deal with them later. So for me, that's what makes Star-Lord a lot of fun. I think they did a great job thematically there. Yeah, no, Star-Lord's great. Actually, he w- almost made my list. I was thinking about it just because, yeah, that that's such a unique aspect. And I think there's just that interesting decision. You talk about taking encounter cards, but it doesn't mean you should take those encounter cards. Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> There's this kind of gamble decision, which is not present, I think, in any other hero in the way it does with Star-Lord, because you definitely get that, like, but I could play this card right now, right? Like, right, where I but should you? Afford it. <laughs> yeah, but should I? Like, is it worth the cost? And I think that struggle, it, it really, like, comes out of, I think, out of the card mechanics of that gambling thing. It's that theme super well. And he also wants to put a lot of high cost cards in his deck, which you don't see with other heroes as well, because he gets a three discount to his cards if he just takes an encounter card in front of him. Why not? Why not play that four cost hero? It's like, oh, that guy's way too expensive. But for Star-Lord, not expensive at all. Just one. Uh, I mean, Hawks made one of the other heroes that I put a lot of high cost cards in, but that's a different discussion. Yes. Uh, I I mean, I I was wondering with Star-Lord, like, do you just run him in like Drax and you're just like, okay... If I draw, like, payback, where I can do, like, a crap ton of damage back on the villain's turn, right? Like, five, and we can, like, basically down the villain, like, do you just then go all in? I think we're going to have to figure that out, right? I think we're going to have to play that on the stream coming up in the next few weeks. Cool. So what's your number three then, Peter? Well, that was my number four, so why don't you tell me your number three? Okay. Uh, The next one, so in wave two, I had actually Wasp. I wanted to pick one of the kind of triple-sided heroes, and I think a lot of people pick Ant-Man, but I actually feel like Wasp is a super versatile hero for me, and I found her fun to build because her abilities are unique. Like, there's different ways to approach deck building with her. You can, like, look at her stat line and her giant form, where she has, like, I think one three three or one two three, and so she has, like, decent attack, 
good defense. And so like you're thinking about building human protection where you're not like probably going to flip a ton and you're going to leverage that. You can build around kind of tiny and abusing the like when you trigger that ability to kind of get that plank damage on the villain every time you uh, clear a side scheme or minion. So that potentially leads to either an aggression or justice build around that especially as more of those justice, like I do this thing to clear a scheme. Cards are coming out now, have that trigger with uh, interrogation room for killing minions as well. And then there's this whole part of her alter ego, which is also an interesting ability that allows you to then cycle mental cards back into your deck. So like the ability to that, that like works really well, justice and building confuse and how they want mental cards it allows you to cycle some of her strongest attack cards or kind of any other mental cards as you thin your deck to then flip down and kind of just get those cards back again. So uh, just a very unique kind of hero in that sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. I would have picked Ant-Man myself. I think it's, he's just more fun, right? He just smashes things and then he's got his little ant colonies that can go around and, you know, remove some threat for him where he needs it. So, I mean, he, he's kind of very similar to Iron Man for me where he's just kind of plinking stuff off. So I prefer Ant-Man over Wasp, personally. Ant-Man was very close to my list, but I think you're not going to go wrong with either of them. But ironically, I have a Wave 2 hero as well, which is Hawkeye. He comes in Rise of Red Skull, one of my favorite heroes in the game. Obviously, my third favorite hero in the game. He was number two till very recently. He has a cool mechanic where he's got a quiver, which will let him look through the top cards of his deck, pull out an arrow, put it in the quiver, and then he can use his bow to shoot stuff. And then I think he exhausts himself to unexhaust the bow, and then he can shoot something again. And his arrows just do cool things like stun, confuse. I don't know if he's going to be as good because there is a new keyword coming out here very soon with the next scenarios coming out. Oh, that's just a scenario? I thought that was going to be in the standard cards. No, that's that's a snare pack that you get that in. Oh, okay. All right, good. Because I thought that was going to be every villain now had steady. I I no. didn't realize. Oh, that's just one villain. Oh, okay. That's not the worst thing in the world then. I thought every hero was going to have steady. So steady keyword means you have to stun somebody twice to actually make them stunned. You have to confuse somebody twice to make them confused. So, oh, I'm super happy. I thought that was going to be a new standard card. Well, it is a new standard card. It's just up to you if you want to play with it. But I think Hood gets it independent of that set. Got it. But anyway, so he's cool because he can just kind of do a little bit of everything. I mean, certainly not as good as Doctor Strange, but he can do a little bit of everything. He can stun, he can confuse. Certainly as a solo player, I think it is a fun deck to play with because... You know, you can do all these things. And I've even made decks where his signature ally, you can bring her in back into your hand and just keep playing her and bring her back and playing her so she can absorb all the damage you would take. Because that's the one thing about Hawkeye. He's definitely a glass cannon. So his signature ally really helps with that, though, because she can not only block for him if she needs to, but just bringing her back into your hand prevents all damage. And then you can just play her again on the next turn. So I have a lot of fun with him, you know, no matter how I've built him. But I just like how quick he is to burn stuff down and how versatile he is with the arrows. Do you find that he will improve a ton as the card pill grows? I feel like his kit actually is very self-contained. Not that he won't, but like, it feels to me like somewhat self-contained and he doesn't seem as designed as well, at least initially for me of like, not that he isn't well-designed, but just like, synergizing with like other cards as much right because he wants to spend all his time shooting off arrows right 
So like no matter what else is going on in the world, he's going to want to play the arrows that he either has in his quiver or has in his hand. Because of that, you do end up using a lot of the cards that you put into his pool just as resources because he's so focused on that mechanic. Now, later on, he does get stuff to help play those arrows for cheaper or free. So I think there are ways to build up enough resources. And that's kind of what I did with my deck where I was focusing on his signature ally. Uh, I, I did a lot of things to get her back into play for free. So basically every turn, I'm just pulling her in my hand and playing her for free and pulling her back into my hand. So there are some cool things you can do with some of the stuff that's come out, but you're right. He's not going to use as many cards as most heroes would outside of his signature set. But I would have said that for Black Panther too. And then you showed me a deck where you literally never use one of his signature cards. So what do I know? Yeah. Well, we'll see. I, I think potentially with some of the stun and confused stuff, that's potentially where you would put your basket interesting things, right? As those cards are building out. Well, and it'll be interesting because if stun and confused stay on longer, then it really opens up things for some of those cards that do more damage if the villain has a condition on them, right? So, I mean, it's a double-edged sword there. You might be able to actually do more damage because you're putting conditions on, but they're never removing them. So that'll be interesting. Yeah, I am actually curious what the ruling on that will be. Because I think it says the enemy has to be confused for like scared tactics. So I think you actually need it to be confused and not have just a confused card. I gotcha. All right, Terrence. Well, we're going long already. What's your number two? I actually put Rocket Raccoon going through the waves. I know he's not probably one of the most well-loved heroes out of kind of the Guardian wave. But for me, I, I think he had just a lot of interesting kind of abilities in him. He's one of the like heroes that has built-in recurring through Salvage. Uh, so yeah, double resource, but not just a double resource, double resource that does the ability to put tech cards on top of your deck. So another hero that likes tech. Tinkering is an amazing ability of just being able to discard tech cards that then allows you to draw. So like those kind of go hand in hand. So there's definitely combos that you get to do of like putting stuff on top of your deck, but then being able to draw it with tinkering if you kind of play your cards right. And then also there's all these like, there's a whole like leadership build around Rocket that allows you to kind of leverage allied tech upgrades, right? It's just like, well, I'm not going to discard my stuff and they're not restricted. I'm just going to discard stuff on my allies. They're going to die anyway. So that's kind of a cool build. And then his other side with the overpowered build where he overkills stuff, it allows him to draw cards. One of the neat things is that unlike a lot of abilities in the game, there's actually no limit. So if you kind of play your cards right and you can do stuff, you can get these kind of really epic turns where you're killing stuff, drawing cards that then allow you to do more things. Well, and he can heal himself while he's doing that too. So yeah, he has a lot of cool stuff. Honestly, the only reason he probably wasn't on my list is I felt like my list was a little guardian heavy anyway. So I didn't put him in, but I'm glad I didn't put him in now because we uh, don't have overlap, but I've been playing him a lot lately too. And I'm really enjoying rocket. He is a lot of fun. I had a game a couple of weeks ago on the stream channel with Brant from step into the portal. They have both a podcast and a YouTube channel. And he played a Rocket Raccoon deck where he was just overkilling everything and drawing tons and tons of cards. It was a super fun build to play against. And we played Ultron, of course. So that way there was just tons of little drones everywhere for him to overkill. So it was a uh, a very fun game to play. And it just showed me some of the potential that is there in Rocket. And I've just been having fun building for him. And actually, I'm going to play him or I've just played him this past Friday. As uh, not as we've recorded, but as this podcast is going up, we just played him and Hulk. 
But let's get to my number two, which is Venom. That, that's another another Guardian, another lots of guns, another likes guns, which I never realized Venom likes guns. You know, you don't see that in the movies. At least I haven't. But he's lots of fun. He introduced the holster, which, you know, it now can be used by all these heroes that want to use a bunch of weapons so that they can use more weapons. And it's just a fun, he's just a fun hero to play. He's so versatile. He has a card that removes threat. It hits enemies. Plus, his stats are okay, but then his pistols let him boost himself even further. And then just like you like Spider-Man, he's got spider senses and all that stuff. Venom can build into those things, which is kind of cool because he feels like Spider-Man later in the game as he built himself up. And you could certainly build him any aspect because of the fact that his base stats are mediocre to low, but those pistols really build them up and they just add to his base stats. They basically add one to anything, including his defense, his attack his thwarting so just really builds up to a very fun point where you can do a lot of different stuff with them so venom i've had a ton of fun with maybe it's recency bias because he's the most recent hero out but uh, he he's definitely jumped quickly to the top of my list like no other hero has nice yeah i mean venom's great he's just a lot of fun i think that symbiotic bond is again one of those things probably not as bad as star lord by any means but can definitely get yourself in a hole if you don't have Project Rebirth out and you're just like burning health every turn. All right, so who's your number one? I mean, is it going to be one of the ones I've already mentioned? No, actually, but you have mentioned it. I put Spider-Woman just because she's just going to be one of those heroes that's going to be fun to watch uh, as the card pool goes more than anyone else. Yeah. She just breaks the deck building rule, right? Um, And she has her own constraints around it, but I think there's just going to be a lot of kind of fun combos that I have done already, but also that come out especially when we start talking about like sneak attack that's coming out in one of the packs in this next wave of like what allies do i want to sneak into play for one because that's restrictive leadership but spider woman is able to then pull in from like another card pool so you kind of get this level of versatility that just doesn't exist in any of the hero even stuff like boot camp that gives plus one attack to all of your allies becomes an, a much more interesting card when you can pick any ally from the card pool Absolutely. Except for the Guardians. Can't pick the Guardians. Yeah, yeah. Except the Guardians. <laughs> but the interesting th- thing about her as well is like Defenders. For some reason, they put the Defenders, which is another, M- it's not MCU, but it's another Marvel property in two different aspects. And that's the only way you can play the Defenders it, all as one because they're in protection and justice as well. So without being able to multi-aspect, you can't play them all together, which doesn't make much sense to me because they are all together. But I had fun doing that with her. That's kind of what I used her for was find fun ally combos. And it sounds like you're the same way. You know, you want to do stuff that you can kind of put cool allies together in addition to just being able to do two of something really well. Yeah, I mean, not just allies, but I think those are probably the easiest ones that come to mind of just like, I think purposely, like those things don't come together. I mean, her signature cards are also great too. So like she has two resource cards that basically reduce the cost of any aspect card, which feels pretty amazing. And you said you were going to go in chronological order. That's why I got confused there, but you jumped back to Rise of Red Skull. That was kind of my like miscellaneous out of order because I did core wave one, two, three, and then we don't have like a wave four, I guess, yet. But so my number two and your number one, or actually, I guess my number three now, and your number one were both from that Rise of Red Skull. So that, (laughs) you know, the only two heroes that come in that are pretty cool ones. Uh, So my number one is Black Widow. 
And this is just more thematically than anything else. I just, and she does things so differently than anybody else as well. She's the only one beside protection heroes, I guess, that is doing most of her damage on the villain's turn. You know, during the villain's turn, she has all these cards that she's prepped during her turn. And then it's like, oh, you want to do this? Nope. She just cancels that. And so if you like blue in magic, which I never did, actually, it makes me feel bad when I'm ruining somebody else's day and like disrupting all their plans. But when I'm doing it to the villains who are a-holes, I don't mind that at all, right? Like, it's like, nope, you can't do that. Nope, you can't do that. Uh, I definitely think she's stronger in solo than she is in multiplayer. She just doesn't have enough stuff to to keep up with both players. But I think her decision-making becomes more interesting in multiplayer because you really now can use it for like the worst of the worst cards and not just like, well, I think I'll just use it on this turn because I have it prepped, right? Like you, it really makes you think more. So for me, Black Widow, she just does a lot of fun stuff. I enjoy her play style. I actually think she's probably stronger in some ways in multiplayer because of what you're saying, but also like Attack of Bad X, which is one for cheap prep cards, is when any boost card comes up. So just being able to trigger that on a three boost card becomes significantly higher in multiplayer, right? Um, so Absolutely. I think like besides the treachery cancels are probably the hardest one, but like she's also able to flip down much easier, I think, to then trigger safe house. And so I actually think she sings really well in multiplayer. Yeah, no, I mean, she's just so fun. But we've got another campaign that's coming out very, very soon. So, I mean, we've got a bunch of stuff already, but there's more fun stuff to come. And so I'm excited. We got Mad Titan show next. Nebula and War Machine have been announced. Hood's been announced. There's definitely a bunch of stuff coming out. Now, Hood, I had never heard of. That's a villain. And he's got a villain pack, but he's going to come up with new standard and expert scenarios as well as nine other modular encounters so because of that it's really going to change up even the villains we've had from the past i'm interested to see where this one goes but i'm certainly excited to get another campaign that's for sure yeah i'm excited to see the next campaign the the two heroes look great too they seem to have uh adam warlock delves more into some unique deck building and then Monica Rambeau also has her own kind of shtick that I don't want to talk about too much since you don't like to read that stuff, Peter. Um, <laughs> but the, you know, she has her own thing that's unique. And so they're just continuing this trend of stuff that you're going to do that you haven't done before. And so I think that's probably one of the biggest strengths of the Marvel Champions that if you're like a dedicated collector like the two of us are, you're not going to be bored anytime soon if, if you love the, the gameplay and the cards and the mechanics. Absolutely. So no, I'm, if you love this talk, I know we've gone super long today. If you love this talk, then join us literally every Friday night. We play a game of Marvel champions and then we just shoot the stuff afterwards. Like we are doing today, you know, whatever's on our mind that day. And I'm starting to get to the point where I'm separating it out. So there's like timestamps for when that talk starts. Now it probably won't be for, you know, a couple of days after we do the live stream. But if you love watching Marvel Champions being played, if you love it, hear us talk about it. We do that every Friday night starting at 10 p.m. Eastern on the One Stop Co-op Shop stream channel. Good place to see more of Terrence, that's for sure. Yep, that's probably one of the only places you'll see me on streams, at least for now. But active in the Discord, if you want to come join us and talk about Marvel Champions, not just on Fridays. So I guess as like kind of a closing question, what do you think of the card pull after three waves? I know I've told you since kind of day one that three waves is kind of the the magic kind of starting point where if you're into the game for deck building, 
it's like where the deck building becomes actually really, really interesting. And it just gets better from there. Do you think we're at that point now? I do. I, I think there every aspect has at least several decks you can build with them. I do think that the champions are interesting enough where you can singularly build certainly some more than others around what that specific hero wants to do. So I do think there's a lot of interesting deck building options available as we are right now. And certainly in the future, it's just going to get more and more so that way. So I am definitely happy with where we are. I think if I hadn't kept up with it from the beginning, like if I was a new person coming in today, I think I'd be a little overwhelmed. And so actually, if you are a new person coming in today, I wouldn't just buy everything and open everything and then just start deck building. I mean, unless that's just your DNA, right? I would probably go slowly and kind of buy things even as they were released buy them in that order maybe buy one every couple weeks depending on how often you're playing and that way you slowly get introduced to the card pool because i do think it can be overwhelming not only financially but just looking at everything at once and, and trying to build all at once i think there's a lot the reason i'm starting to see things is like i'm like oh this new card is cool because I can use it with these three cards that I've used in the past. If you're somebody like me who isn't that into deck building, I think I would take it a little more slowly as you get in. But what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think we're at an interesting point. Like you said, there's multiple kind of ways to build a lot of the different aspects. And I don't know if there's multiple ways for every hero for a particular aspect per se. Sure. I think some do, some don't, even within like one aspect itself. But I think we're starting to get there. Maybe some heroes will never get there just because of part of the design of champions is that the heroes are unique. So you just can't make them all bland enough to kind of have the aspects fill everything out. And that's just going to be a thing. But, you know, like I'm having a lot of fun. I think when heroes come out, part of the reason I do kind of tear apart the pre-cons is like, I also want to build my own deck and kind of flex and, and kind of push heroes and, and the card pull to limit to some degree. And I think we're at a point where you can do that stuff and not just be like, yep, I'm just going to take the precon and play it because that's the only way to build that hero, right? Oh, and the precon is never the best way to build a hero. I mean, even the strongest ones like Captain America are way stronger if you build them yourself at this point. Yeah, so I, I definitely think we're we're at a good point where if you were hesitant to join the game because the deck building was limiting, I think it's worth looking again if that's been your big complaint of the game. And I'll say from the other perspective, I think you would have just as fun a time pulling these heroes out with their pre-cons and playing with them that way too. I know plenty of people that do that. Now, again, maybe not in Galaxy's Most Wanted. You might get a little frustrated there. But the deck building in this game, if you're two Galaxy's Most Wanted and building through there, I think you're, you've played enough that you will easily be able to build your own deck. Because here's the thing. Out of a 40-card deck, 15 of the cards are already set. So really you only have 25 cards you're building. On top of that, almost every deck I've built has the double resource, the three double resource cards. Not everyone, but almost everyone. So that's literally 18 of your 40 cards. So really, you're only building a 22-card deck. And then when you think about it, you're usually putting things in in triplicate, right? So now you're really talking about seven triplicates and... You probably won't even have seven triplicates because you'll have a couple of allies at least. So maybe you have four allies to eight allies. And so somewhere in there, you know, now you're down to only needing really five triplicate cards, right? So it's not as daunting as you might think it is. But I do think there's flexibility in there as well. You don't need triplicates of everything. So I, I do think there's a lot of flexibility in the deck building, but it's also not overwhelming for somebody like me who doesn't necessarily deck build. 
Yeah, that and like it's hard to build a truly terrible Marvel deck because those 15 cards are generally really good. Oh, I built one with Hulk the other day. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, <laughs> like Hulk Smash is still a good card, right? Like, Well, yeah, no, it worked. We won, right? So it's fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I guess as a follow-on question, you said you aren't as into deck one. Do you find going through this with Marvel Champions that you are enjoying deck anymore? Like, is that a thing people can grow into? I think you can grow into it. It's, I, I don't know that I'd want to do it for every game, but because I've been here since the beginning, I think it's easier. And because the deck building is easier in this game, honestly, most of the time I have more cards put into my deck than I want. A lot of times I'll build a deck and there's 60 cards in there. I'm like, oh, crud. How am I going to knock 20 out of here, right? Like I find I am much more apt to build a bigger deck than a smaller deck. Like there's more that I want to put in than I can put in a lot of times. And so I'll have to kind of, okay, what is the real core of this deck? Let's just build around that and delete anything that doesn't help me do that one thing real well. How many times do you cut Lockjaw? Every time. I mean, well, that's not true because he's in 50% of my deck. So 50% of the time I cut him because every time he goes in in that initial build. So Lockjaw comes with Miss Marvel, I think, right? Yes. Probably my favorite ally. So do you have a favorite ally? My favorite ally in the game probably is Captain Marvel and Spider-Woman. I mean, card draw, right? Like being able to play an ally that gives you more cards, like in 2-2 stat line, three hit points, like that's pretty good. Nice. So that's a signature ally. Yeah, signature ally. So I feel like that's cheating a little bit. So mine's neutral. Mine goes in every deck, right? I I mean, look, if I'm going signature allies, again, I'll go with my favorite. You went with your favorite. I'll go with my favorite, Winter Soldier, right? I mean, I'm playing him for free because he's four cost, but he's minus one for every preparation you have. I mean, you say that, but I, I feel like I still feel like Lockjaw is your favorite. Oh, no, for sure. For sure. But I mean, playing a 2-2 for free, there's nothing wrong with that for Winter Soldier. But yeah, no, Lockjaw, even though Lockjaw, two attack, two thwart, takes two damage every time it does it with four hit points. So not Lockjaw's not around for a long time. But the fact that you could play Lockjaw from your discard pile and just when you need him is great. And if I've got him in play, I might use him for that two attack which will kill him from that consequential damage, bring him back in play and do two more damage with him. Ah, love Lockjaw. Yeah, if, if I was picking a non-signature, I would probably say Maria Hill, but she's probably a staple. Just like being able to give people cards that give them more options across the table. Isn't she? She's ridiculous. She's like two cost and gives everybody a card draw, right? Yeah, and it's two one stat line for two thwart, one attack and two health. So like you play her, give everyone a card, you thwart for two and then jump. Yeah, that's so ridiculous <laughs> for two cost. Like, <laughs> I don't get it. But yeah, she's super strong. Look, I, I go theme, obviously. Like, Lockjaw is not nearly as good as that, right? But he's just so much fun. And I love if I just get that huge resource. You know, if I get three double resource cards in my hand and I don't know what to do, I love just being able to pull Lockjaw out of my discard and be like, all right, now I know what to do. <laughs> All right, Terrence, thank you so much for joining us. As Terrence said, join him, uh, join all of us on Friday night. You can chat with us live, and then you can also talk with us in the Discord at any point. We always love talking Marvel Champions, but thanks for having you, buddy. Good talking to you, as always. Yeah, thanks for having me. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop or leave us a review on iTunes. 
Thanks again, and we'll see you next week for another Top 5 list. Hey, Terrence. What's up? Boom, boom, boom. Let me hear you say way Nice. Is that to make up for the fact that you didn't do enough of it on Friday? Yeah, you know, sometimes I just don't have the energy to boom, boom, boom. You know, you gotta you gotta have it deep in your soul. Is that just because you're playing Hulk though? Didn't didn't feel that energy? No, that that was definitely I was very depressed by the end of that night. That's for darn sure.